Do you look at yourself and think the best's yet to come? No? No, neither do I. Um, I remember when I had air. I remember when I was fit. I remember when I could run and run and run and play football. I get out of breath doing the garden. I feel my, my best years, I feel like they're behind me. But if we're to believe what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, our best is yet to come. You might be here this morning, you might feel old, you might feel frail, you might feel daft, you might feel rubbish. You might feel that your, your best years are behind you. But if you're here this morning and you love the Lord Jesus and you believe in him and you trust him, if you trust that he died for your sins, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, then your best years are ahead of you. If the Queen, as, as, as we, we said, we believe and we hope she did, loved Jesus, then her best years aren't behind her, they're ahead of her. If, if it's true that, that the Queen's gone to heaven to be with Jesus, then, then her reign hasn't just ended, it's just about to begin. Because we're told on the new earth that she'll, along with us, reign with Jesus forever. Time-wise, experience-wise, discovery-wise, enjoyment-wise, living-wise, we've barely, if even, begun to live. This planet, if we say, if we say it's seven, it's between seven, ten thousand years old, who knows? The longest any of us are going to live is 100 years, give or, give or take a couple. If you'd lived from the first day of creation until now, all the years of your existence in this world are nothing compared to eternity to come. When I, I don't know about you, when I was little, eternity used to scare me because I used to think about it and think about it and think, well, when I've been there 100,000 years and I won't have even begun. For Christians, all the joys and all the experiences of this world, you know, you think about the joy of meeting the love of your life. The joy of seeing your, your kids born, of getting married, of Christmases, of holidays, of birthdays. They're nothing compared with what's to come. If we trust in Jesus, if we love Jesus, our lives haven't even begun yet. When Jesus returns, when he makes everything new, when he raises our bodies from the grave, that's when we'll start to live. That's not the end. When Jesus returns, it's not the end. It's, it's just the end of the beginning. And so in the context of eternity, Paul says in this passage, we can laugh. We can actually mock death. But I dare you to do that. I dare you to mock death to someone who's grieving a loved one. Because the pain's real, isn't it? We know that death's been defeated, but we still die at the minute. God's created us with emotions. Even Jesus, Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He still cried before he did it. I dare you to make a joke about the Queen's death. It'll go down like a lead balloon. There were a real sense of shock on Thursday evening, weren't they? Even though the Queen was ill, even though she was old, her death was a surprise. It was sobering. It was a, a bit of a shock. I was exactly at this point of putting this message together when I read the news that she died. Massive, monumental news. And you know what? Five minutes later, I looked out the office window there, and people were walking about. They were going in and out of Morrison's. They were driving the cars. Not disrespectfully, I, ten minutes later, I was joining them. But even with the death of the Queen, 
probably the most famous person in the world, life goes on. It's like we looked at on Sunday night. We live in a, a now and not yet kingdom, don't we? For us as Christians, sin and death, the defeated, we're guaranteed a glorious eternity, but we've got to live in the now where people still die and where we still sin. And it's true and it's beautiful and, it, and it's glorious that the world and, and the life to come, it, it, it's, it's awesome that, that that's, that's all coming and it, it's, everything here is going to be feeble in comparison, but we've still got to live here, haven't we? No matter how much you believe in Jesus, no matter how much you believe that, that you're going to a glorious eternity, you've still got to go to work tomorrow, you've still got to go home to family problems. And this passage describes something about, about the glory that's going to begin when this world ends. It tells us how that glory has been won, but then brilliantly it brings us back down to earth and says, now this is what you need to do today. We spent four weeks looking at this chapter. We were going to spend two, but we haven't been able to. I want to give you a quick recap, then we'll jump into this one. From verse 1 to 11, we saw the message of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and raised the third day. If we deny any of those things, we lose Christianity. Then from verse 12 to 34, we saw the bodily resurrection of Jesus is essential to us being raised from the dead. We can't deny the resurrection. And then last week, we saw how the resurrection of the body, we saw how it's going to work. We got a glimpse into, we can't understand it fully, but we got a glimpse into what our amazing, resurrected, glorified bodies will be like, and they'll be amazing. And this morning, we're focusing on the day that Jesus returns. Because Jesus is coming back. He's been once, he's, he's suffered, he's died, he's rose, he's paid for sin, but he's coming back. And he's not coming back to suffer, he's coming back to judge and he's coming back to reign. He's, Jesus is coming back to wrap up the beginning and to bring in eternal new earth and new creation. And so as this chapter ends, we're going to ask three questions, really practical questions, but we need to answer them. And the first is this, what's going to happen to us when Jesus returns? What's going to happen to me and you when Jesus returns? We see it in verse 50 to 53. Paul's argument follows on from what we looked at last week. After last week's glorious crescendo, then straight away, Paul introduces us to a problem in verse 50. Have a look at it. Paul says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And I'll look and I'll feel myself. And I've got a problem, and so have you. I've got flesh. I've got lots of flesh. I've got blood, lots of blood. So what does Paul mean when he says, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven? It means that our bodies in heaven, it doesn't, it can't mean that our bodies in heaven aren't physical. We've looked at that. It goes against everything that Paul said so far about our bodies. Our bodies will be physical. The point is this. We can't enter heaven as we are. Because our current body is woefully inadequate. We've got a physical body, but we need a spiritual body. The emphasis is body. We're not denying the heaven as we understand it, or the new heavens and the new earth. They'll be physical. It's going to be physical. It's going to be more physical than we can imagine. But it won't be fleshly. Our physical, fleshly bodies won't be able to cope on the, the new earth, the perfect earth, the earth without sin. Our, our, our current bodies couldn't cope being in the presence of the glorified Jesus. Our corrupt bodies, our bodies are corrupted by all sorts of things. Our corrupted bodies 
cannot inherit incorruptibility. It makes perfect sense, doesn't it? If the new heavens and the new earth are perfect, then things that aren't perfect can't enter and our bodies aren't perfect. It can't be the case that Jesus just returns, makes everything new, and then while we're on this earth, gives us a a new body. Something has to happen first. So look at verse 51. Paul says, you know, look, flesh and blood, you as you are, cannot enter heaven. You cannot enter the new creation. But then he lets us in on a secret. He gives us a revelation. He says, a mystery. The word mystery, when it's used in the New Testament, it generally means something that's now known but was a secret. So you've got you know, a kid at Christmas, and he's been looking at his present underneath the tree for days. And he's been weighing it and checking it and knocking it, trying to find out what it is, but he doesn't know what it is. And then on Christmas morning, he rips the paper off, he opens it up, and it's an Xbox. And he says, Mystery. That's what it is, mystery. It had been a secret, but now mystery, it's been revealed. Not just how can a sinner enter the new earth, but how can a body that's corrupted, that's got sin and got decay and got frailty, how can that body exist on a new, perfect, clean earth? That's what people couldn't grasp. And Paul says, I've got a mystery for you. I'm going to explain it. I'm going to let you in on a secret. What's the great mystery that he's going to reveal to them in verse 51? There are actually two mysteries. Here's the first mystery. Not everybody's going to die. There's going to be one generation of people who don't die. One generation of people who don't experience physical death. I wonder, is it us? Do you ever wonder that? Am I going to be in that generation that never dies because Jesus will return in my lifetime. I've, I've always thought Jesus will return in my lifetime, but then I read the Puritans and they did as well. So who knows? But there's going to be one generation of people that don't die because they're alive when Jesus returns. That's the first mystery. But the, the other mystery, mystery number two, is that dead or still alive, will, when Jesus returns, will all be changed instantly. Here's what Paul's saying will happen, just so you're completely clear on the mechanics of it. Jesus is going to return at the last trumpet, the last proclamation, at the end of time on this earth. When Jesus returns, the Bible says he's going to descend from heaven. And all those who died in faith are going to be raised from the grave and will meet Jesus in the sky. And while we're there with Jesus, our earthly bodies will be transformed into our heavenly bodies. And what will happen is that the people who are alive on earth when Jesus returns, they won't rise from the grave, but they'll rise to meet Jesus with the others. And verse 53, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall all be changed. So while we're up there with Jesus, all of us will be changed. And how long will it take? Paul says, this long. In a blink, in in that. We're told that this mortal body, this this body that feels old, that feels rubbish, that feels compromised, my body, every Christian will put on immortality in the blink of an eye in a millisecond. And then life will begin. What will happen is then our, our corrupted bodies are put on incorruption. And immediately, can you imagine, we'll feel the power of that new body, we'll feel the strength, we'll feel the energy of our heavenly bodies. And then what will happen is our, our new bodies will descend back down to the new earth. And guess what's happened in the seconds that we've been away? This will all happen over that 
in the second that we've been away, in the same blink of an eye, the earth will have been transformed. All that's not good is burnt up and, and made new, renewed. And we'll come down to the earth with Jesus, we'll reign forever on the new earth in immortal, incorruptible bodies with Jesus. It's called the Christian hope, it's awesome, isn't it? What's going to happen to us when Jesus returns? Well, if you're saved, you'll either be raised from the grave, or if you're alive, you'll be changed instantly, and your glorified body will come back down, you'll reign with Jesus forever and ever on a new earth that's also been changed and made perfect, and we'll really begin to live. Second question, what happens to death when Jesus returns? See it in verse 54 to 57. Apart from those who are alive when Jesus returns, there's a one-in-one one statistic for every person that's ever lived in history, isn't there? 100 out of 100 people die. There'll come a day when you and me, unless Jesus returns, die. They say, don't they, you, you can't avoid death and taxes. I know loads of people who avoid taxes. I don't know anybody who, who avoids death. Death swallows everyone. Death's got an insatiable appetite. Death is the mouth that is never full. Death never says, okay, there's been 15 million and 75 people. That's enough for today. I'm full. No, death's not satisfied to take one or two people. Death is never full. The mouth of death's never full. We've experienced that, haven't we? All of us, we, we hate death, and, and rightly so. So what's going to happen when Jesus returns? It, there's an irony in this. It's death will be swallowed up in victory. Death, the mouth that's never satisfied, will itself be eaten. The final enemy will be defeated. That's awesome news, isn't it? When will death be defeated? Well, look at verse 54. When this mortal, me, you, have put on immortality. And here's the picture. It'll be simultaneous, but, but for the sake of understanding it, when the final Christian receives the immortal body, at that precise moment, when the last Christians receive the new body, death will be swallowed up. Death will be burned in hell. Death will be buried. No more death. Ever. No more funerals. No more cancer wards. Flowers won't die. Animals won't die. People won't die, ever. Death will be swallowed up in victory. Paul's quoting from Isaiah 25. Isaiah talks about death. He says, Death's, in Isaiah 25, Isaiah said, death's a veil that covers all nations. And in that day when Jesus returns, he will swallow up death forever. I love how Isaiah goes on to explain in Isaiah 25, 8. He says, the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He'll take away the rebuke of his people from all the earth. And in that day, we will say, behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. We will rejoice. We will be glad in his salvation. And Isaiah describes this victory feast that's going to happen. See, it's going to be a physical earth. I know this is imagery, but it's going to be physical. He says there's going to be fine wine. There's going to be the best wine. There's going to be fat meat full of marrow. And I picture it like this. Death's going to be swallowed up. Death's going to be defeated, and we're going to celebrate God's enemies are going to be overthrown and God's, God's people are going to be established. And this is what I think is going to happen. He's going to bring us all together. For me, I don't know what you'll eat. I think, he'll, I think that the Lord will bring out 
Argentinian tomahawk steaks. You know the ones with like the, the juicy marrow on the edge, and it'll be, it'll be medium, medium rare maybe, just no blood. And then he'll bring out the best wine from the best vineyards on earth. And the vineyards will be better than the old vineyards. See, the new earth, it's not going to be a floaty, silent, boring place. It's going to be full of life. It's going to be enjoyable. The new earth's going to feed all of our senses. But no sin. No drunkenness. No gluttony. No adultery. No broken hearts because death's being defeated. Then the best bit, even better than the food, I think. We're going to sing a song. Now, I can't imagine singing this song at present because it's too painful when you lose loved ones. But when death's been defeated, we're going to sing a song that actually mocks death. And it's going to go like this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? I've been listening to Johnny Cash all week in his frail old voice before he dies. Oh, grave, where is your victory? It's the kind of song you hear on a, a football terrace, isn't it? When you come from... 2-0 down to beat your, your biggest rivals in the last minute. Imagine Spurs are playing Arsenal, and Arsenal luckily are 2-0 up. And then in the, the last minute of injury time, Harry Kane comes and scores his hat-trick with an header. That's what's going to happen in a few weeks. They've been winning, they've been singing, they've been taunting you all the way through, and you win it, and in the last minute, you start singing at death, as one person put it, you're not stinging anymore, you're not stinging anymore. And we're reunited with believing husbands and believing wives and, and kids and parents. And imagine the joy we will taunt death. You're not stinging anymore. Why? Because Paul says of the victory of Jesus 2,000 years ago on the cross. Because Jesus rose from the grave and is still alive. And he sums it up in verse 56 to 57. The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just slow down for a second with that. We've got to slow down. Death isn't the big issue. Death means separation. It doesn't mean ceasing to exist. At death, our, our body is separated from our soul. The big problem with death is not death, it's sin. That's the sting in the tail of, of death. Because our sin separates us from God. So when we die, the sting in the tail, if we haven't come to Jesus for forgiveness, we'll be separated from all eternity from him in hell. And so we say to that, well, I'll just make sure I don't sin. And then we see God's law and death draw, and sin draws its strength from the law. And we, and we see that from the first day we can, we can do anything. We, we've put other things before God. We've committed adultery in our hearts. We've hated people and we have done all those things. And so it's a vicious circle that can't be broken. Sin and the law both, both convict us and we can't beat one or the other. Sin brought death into the world and when we die our sin separates us from God in hell. And, and God's law, as good as it is, only condemns us because we've broken it. Paul said, but Jesus has won the victory. Jesus lived a perfect life, never broke God's law, always fulfilled God's law. Jesus was tempted in every way, just like me and you are tempted, but he always kept God's law. He never sinned, not even once. He's the only person ever to die who wasn't in debt to God. He was in infinite credit. And on the cross, our sin were paid for by Jesus. And he's battered and bruised and beaten and um, uh, he was blooded, but he didn't fight it. 
And our sin were laid on him. And his infinite righteousness were laid on us. And they buried him. And on the third day, he burst out the grave. And in doing so, by keeping God's law and dying in our place and rising from the dead, he didn't just defeat sin, he defeated death. He defeated sin's hold over us. Paul says that's the victory of Jesus. And folks, for those of you who love and serve Jesus, our destiny is awesome. In our new bodies, on a new earth, alongside our victorious Savior, we will sing songs of victory, including singing to death, you're not stinging anymore. But again, as we close, here's the reality. For the time being, we've still got to put our loved ones in the grave. And it hurts. For the time being, we wake up every morning thinking, you know what, I'm not going to say anything stupid today. And by nine o'clock, you're already repenting. Some of you have lost loved ones in the past few years, in the past few months. It hurts, doesn't it? We don't feel like singing and taunting death. Because if we're honest, we feel like, at the minute, death's winning. What do we have to remember? It ain't over yet. And in the end, Jesus is victorious. And we get it all back, but only better. We've talked about football. I think a, a sporting analogy is helpful. It's been used before. It's half time. Maybe you're in the last 10 minutes. You're 3-0 down. And you want to give up and you want to go home. But the result's already in. You, you do win in the end. That doesn't take away the pain of losing a loved one. But to know that one day everything will be made new, every believer will be restored, it's awesome. Keeps us going. I make no apologies. I've told you this story before a few times. It's one of my favorite stories. There was a preacher called Donald Barnhouse. I think it might in the 40s and 50s in America. He tells this story. He says, I was on my way to preach at my wife's funeral. Can you imagine that? On my way to preach at my wife's funeral, I had my kids in the car. We came into a town and in front of us, there was a truck that stopped at a red light. It was a massive truck. He said, I'd never seen a truck as big as it in my life. It's probably exaggerating, but preachers do. He said, the sun was shining on this truck. And just at the angle where it, it, it spread its shadow over the snow onto the field and all over the car, the, the truck shed its shadow. And he looked at his kids and he looked at the truck and he looked at the shadow said, kids, if you had to be run over, what would you rather be run over by, the truck or the shadow? And his little girl said, Dad, the shadow can't hurt anybody. And he said, that's right. He said, death is a truck. But the shadow is all that touches a Christian. He says, the truck ran over the Lord Jesus and only the shadow's gone over your mum. Now, if that weren't true, I'd give up. If it weren't for the knowledge that Jesus has overcome, I would give up. But he has overcome. And so Paul says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it brings us to one final question. What does that mean for us now? Because we're not in heaven yet. We're not on the new earth yet. We haven't got our new bodies yet. We've got these bodies. Well, in typical Paul fashion, he brings us down to earth in verse 58. What does it mean for us as believers now? Well, one day we're going to taunt death. 
One day we're going to sing. One day we're going to have new bodies on a, on a new earth and death will be swallowed up, but not yet. Maybe you'll go home today and you'll go home to problems or you'll go home to loneliness. Maybe tonight you'll get into bed alone because the person who slept next to you for 40 years has been swallowed up by death. Maybe this year you'll bury a loved one. Because at the moment we've got to live with all those frustrations. We've got to live with other people and our own frustrations. But we're doing that knowing that Jesus is victorious. Knowing how it ends. Feeling that we're 3-0 down but knowing that we win. And despite all the tragedies we experience as we wait for the glories to come, life goes on, doesn't it? If I, I might lose the most precious person in the world to me, and yet you're, you're out shopping because life goes on. And eventually I'll be out shopping because life goes on. And so Paul calls us back down to earth because he, he can't leave us in heaven just yet. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your labor is not in vain. He says, look, keep going. Keep serving, even though you're frustrated, even though you're hurting. Keep giving yourself to Jesus and his people, even if you don't feel like it. Keep working at your difficult marriage. Keep praying for your kids who aren't saved. Don't walk away when it gets tough. Why? Because your labor is not in vain. Jesus has won. Keep going. If you love Jesus, then it is the truth. Every single thing you ever do for him will bear fruit. That's why we keep going. Because everything we do for Jesus will bear fruit. Everything we do will have eternal fruit. I think we've got one kid at youth at the minute, or two maybe now. It'll bear fruit. Mums and tots and ladies, and when, when you feel frustrated and you're witnessing, everything you do for Jesus will bear eternal fruit. Because we're going to outlive this present world and Jesus has won. I was just going to say Jesus wins. He's won. But what does that mean if you're not a Christian? What does that mean if you haven't asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior and you don't follow him because he's still coming back and you're still going to die? We don't want to scare you, but we do want you to be saved. See, it's not just Christians who are going to be raised. Everybody's going to be raised. But not everybody's going to be raised to life. Death, as we saw last week, means to perish. It just means everything good rots away. Some people will work the socks off. Good people, good, honest workers, they'll work the socks off and they'll go to the grave and it'll count for nothing and they'll be raised to eternal perishing. Daniel 12 says, Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's what's at stake as we think about what Jesus has done. We cannot be indifferent what we've looked at these last four weeks is what's called the Christian hope. And I'll end with this. Again, you've probably heard this story, but it's a good one. In the 1800s, there was a famous tightroper. What were he called, Gaz? Oh, let me know. Charles Blondin. 1959, he, he walked unsupported on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And there were a massive crowd watching him. And then he, he walked back the other way with a wheelbarrow and a stove in the wheelbarrow. And he stopped halfway across and cooked himself an omelette. And the crowd were cheering. The crowd were going mad. The crowd were amazed. And when he came back with, it, with the barrow, he said, do you believe that I could take a person across in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd, yeah, we believe, we believe. And he says, can I have a volunteer? 
And there was silence. And maybe that's some of you this morning. You know Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know that Jesus came to earth to pay for your sin. And you know that when you die, your only hope is that you trust in him and belong to him. And you know what I'm talking about is true, but you won't get in. You won't come to Jesus so that you can cross from life to death. Jesus is going to return. And when he does, our bodies are going to be raised. And if we love him, they're going to be renewed. And then we're going to reign on the new earth with Jesus forever. We'll begin to live. Death will be swallowed up in victory. And because of that certainty, Paul says, keep going. Keep serving. Keep trusting. And keep believing. I know we sang it last week. But we've got to finish again. Let's, let's respectfully taunt death. Where, O oh grave, is your victory?
Gary, add that to my funeral list, yeah? O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. Thank you. 